Well, good morning to you, Rock Hill. It's so good to see you today. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us as well. We hope you have your Bibles in hand, Psalm 19. Psalm 19, we're walking through summer in the Psalms, and we've dedicated the summers to that, doing about 10 each week. And so if my math is right, 150 Psalms, so we got 13 more years. It's going to be great, all right? All that is is job security, folks. That's all it is, okay? We got to finish. We generally love to work through books of the Bible. When we get done with this uh, next week in Psalm 20, we will pick up in the Gospel of Matthew and probably finish the Gospel of Matthew in 2023, all right? Did you know that we're less than six months from 2023? Okay, so now that everybody's in a sour mood, all right, so... Uh, I'm just so grateful for our choir and our worship team. Aren't you thankful for them today for serving us and ministering to us today? Yeah. And those of you that helped with God in the Great Outdoors, what a tremendous event that was to see so many people. I had lots of gospel conversations with people, was able to invite people who have been disconnected from a local church and to lovingly challenge them to be part of a local church, to find one, and, and maybe even that might be Rock Hill. So thank you for providing that, the, the team that led that. That is completely and almost 100% lay-led, so we're so grateful for the service of that. Now, something happened this last Christmas that you probably didn't know about, but you probably, maybe you did. You're pretty informed people, but there was this, this telescope that was launched into space. James, I think it's James Webb Telescope, was launched into space in, over Christmas, and this telescope was sent out, in essence, to take pictures. I mean, we sent a photographer up into space. That's what we did. Now, the goal of this was to find the deepest uh, parts of space. That's kind of the, the endeavor that it was on. And, and so this James Webb telescope went up, and, and they recently, just now, because it took so long for it to, I guess, for the film to, to develop. You remember those? Okay. And they had to drop it off at Walgreens, and it just took a while, all right? So they, they came, and they, they, they showed this image recently. It's the SM, SMACS0723, if my memory serves me correctly. But this is the image they released to the internet, and you go, that looks like a desktop from an Apple computer. It's not, although you could make it that. But this image was what NASA called the deepest and sharpest image from the universe we have ever seen. Now, now when I see that photo, I don't begin to think, where did that come from? Like when I see that photo, now it's not it turned green now. When I see that photo, I, I don't think, well, that's weird, and man, that, that, just, that just randomly happened, I guess. See, see for me, I have a, a, what we call a Christian worldview. My, my view of the world comes from God's word. I look at that and go, our God is awesome. I, I look at that photo, and I, I think about sometimes, that, and maybe you've had this in your life, where you've been Ubering the kids everywhere, you, you feel strained, you feel stressed, there's been kind of one setback after another, maybe the month of July has just flown by, or, or maybe you're frustrated with some relationships in your life that just aren't working out well, or, or maybe some things are happening at work, and you just get frustrated. I, I don't know if that happens to you, but it's in those moments that I, I'm feeling like everything is just falling out of control, I see a picture like this. And I'm reminded that God of the universe is holding all these things together, and we're here on this little speck of dust called earth. And God has providentially chosen to extend his love and invitation to the whole world, all the humans that are living on this earth, and he invites us to know him. And all my problems that I think are really big get really small. It's amazing that the Psalms have a way to connect our hearts and emotions to what's happening in our everyday lives. 
Psalm 19 is one of those, and you, you may know about Psalm 19 because you, you are on Instagram, and maybe someone takes a picture of a sunset, and they put verse 1 of Psalm 19 on, on their picture. Psalm 19 is not a scientific uh, dis- description of creation or of even of God's word. However, it does reveal to us how God has revealed himself to the world. David does a masterful job of showing us almost two levels of which God has revealed himself. God has revealed himself in a general way in his creation. That's going to be the first six verses. And then 7 through 11, God's going to show us in a very specific way that God has revealed himself, particularly in his word. And then from that, we're called to respond. It's an amazing thing that we we see God revealed in his world, we see God revealed in his word, and then we're going to see God, how we respond to God's revealing of himself. I've given you the outline on the onset just so you can help follow along with notes, but if you have your Bibles, we're going to read all 14 verses today from Psalm 19, and if you're there, will you say, word? Psalm of David begins like this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech, night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech and there are no words, their voice is not heard, their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. God has revealed himself in his world. Now watch this. And he shifts. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord, they are They are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord, well, they are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, they are, there is an abundant reward. And then David gives his response to all this. Who perceives his unintentional sins, cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable or pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's amazing in our culture today, there is a sense of spiritual and even moral confusion. Spiritual and moral confusion. Recently, there was a question asked that became a big debate among really our whole United States, but I don't think it should be a debate at all. There is no debate. The question was posed like this, what is a woman? What is a woman? Now, I'm a pretty simple person. I don't claim to be the smartest person even in this room. I am guaranteeing you I am on the bottom third of intelligence in this room. However, when I'm posed with the question, what is a woman? And it is not hard for me to be be able to be very clear of what a woman is and who a woman is. 
It's amazing to me that in our culture today, there's a spiritual and moral confusion when God, by his natural creation, has revealed many of these things already to us. His world. This verse begins in verse 1, says the heavens declare, or they make known the the glory of God. So there's a declaration happening. There's a proclamation taking place. And what are they showing us? That God is glorious. Glory is this idea of, of weight and importance. The heavens are making known. So when we see the stars at night and we, we walk among the pine trees behind our curtain here, the pine curtain that we live in, when we live amongst this land, when we go and we see the lake and we see the sunrise and we see the sunset on the lake, every time we see that, we are able to say God is declaring his glory. There's an importance and significance about it. It should draw us not to worship the creation, but to worship the creator. There's a sense in which we see that God is always letting us know, he's proclaiming and declaring it to us that he is the one who's behind all things. This is what David is telling us here in verse 1. I mean, we learned this at the beginning of the Bible. It's the first, the first verse of the Bible that, that God began everything and he created everything by the, the word of his mouth. We, we learned that in 2 Peter. Peter tells us that it's by the word of his mouth that the heavens were made. There's a sense in which God took nothing and created something out of it. You, you and I try to create nothing, uh, something out of nothing. It, it, it just never works. I mean, you, you try to create a river. You, you, you can't do it. The heavens are making known his, his gloriousness. We were, in essence, created for God's glory, created to enjoy him forever. We, we were created for someone greater than us. The heavens are making it known. They're declaring it to us left and right. There is no confusion when it comes to these things and God's word. God has put himself on display. Verse 2 tells us that day by day they're making this known. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. What kind of speech and what kind of knowledge are they making known to us? They're making known to us that there is a God. They're making known to us that God exists. They're making known to the whole world. It's on display. He is making himself known. It's why maybe part of our application in this, these few verses of this first section is for you to actually go outside. Now you say that's a horrible application when it's 100 degrees for the last 88 days, right? I mean, there's one reason why I'm looking forward to the fall. It's not because we're launching all of our activities and our groups and our, our midweek activities and all these things. I'm excited about that, but I'm really looking forward to at least just a couple of degrees cooler. I mean, I was in a different state uh, on Thursday and Friday, and it was in the 70s, and that was in Oklahoma, and I thought, God must be happy with Oklahoma and mad at Texas. I don't know what's going on. For a split second, I went, maybe I could live in Oklahoma, and then I realized, no, I don't want to do that. The reality is that we are able to look at God's creation and say, God is glorious. He's good. And day after day, it's communicating this to us. There's no one who can say, I did not know that God existed. But in our culture today, there's much confusion about these things. There's a, there's a way in which they want to go against. Look at, look at verse 3, silent. It says that there is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Just saying that they aren't actually physically speaking, but they are showing themselves to be true, because look at what he says in verse 4. The message has gone, it has gone out. And where has it gone to the whole earth? And there were to the end of the earth. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. 
It's amazing to me. The message has gone out. The message has been sent out. It's like a, a letter that's been sent to us to be displayed, but also to be read. But, but, but then why, why are there so many people in our world today that just don't know this truth? Why are there so many people who aren't aware of the outdoors and how you can go out in the outdoors and observe God's goodness and grace? How come that? Well, we have to go to the New Testament to see why. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, a, a great book of the Bible if you're looking for something to study, but he says, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who, here it is, by their unrighteousness, what do they do? They suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. The reality is that God has made himself known, but we as God's creation, by our own unrighteousness, which means our own sin, our own rebellion, choose to suppress the truth. We, we don't want to be told that God is behind all things. We don't want to be told that there's a creator. You see, this is what happens even when we read God's word, which we'll get to in a minute. We're willing to read God's word, and we're willing to worship the God of the universe, provided it doesn't change anything in our lives. I'll follow God up to the point to which I actually have to change something in my life. I'll apply God's word all the way to the extent until I have to actually change some type of thing in my world. It's the same way we do when we, we give. Oh, I love to give generously to the Lord, but here, is there sacrifice behind it? I was in a meeting for two hours on a Wednesday night. Boy, doesn't that sound fun. And in this meeting, we were discussing, and someone brought up, hey, often we don't give, or we, we give, but we don't give when it hurts. We cease to give. I don't know about you, but there was a sense of even conviction. I, I began to say, Lord, is, it hurt? is my offering to you causing some pain in my own world? But so often we suppress the truth. We, we, we don't want to be told those things. We want to buck against those things because we, we don't want to be told that we're in the wrong. We don't want to be told that we've done something we shouldn't do. Creation screams out and lets it known their words. Are, they have gone out. The message has gone out. The communication has been sent out to the whole earth. He says in 5 and 6, it's like a bridegroom coming from his home. It's like a, an athlete who, who's finished his course. I, I don't know if you've ever run, even, even if it's a 1K. I don't care, but you've run and you had some distance you were going to run and you crossed that finish line and you think you've just won the Olympics, but you're so happy. In part, you're happy because it's over. But the other part, you're happy because you did it. Creation screams out like this, it rises from one end and sets in the other. All my life, literally every day, the sun has come up and the sun has gone down, even when it's a cloudy day. The sun has come up and the sun has gone down. There's a sense of which when I see these things and I walk outside and I see even the Paladuro Canyon or the Grand Canyon, you, you can never get there. You can go to Utah like David talked about so many weeks ago. or you can, you can even go among our trees or go on a trail. You begin to see the beauty and wonder and go, we have a magnificent God. So go outside. But go outside for a purpose of not just to be outside, but to Meet with God. It may be no wonder that in the Old Testament, you say, well, they didn't have buildings, that God met with his people outside. We just don't have his 
world as a testimony or a revealing of God. We are taking a step further and we now have his word. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 through 9, it's really important here because there's going to be some, some things that David says, and, and I'm going to use alliteration, and when I use alliteration, I, I'm going to use it as best as I can, so here we go. I don't do it always, so I'm not that kind of guy, but there's some things that are said about God's Word. We, we see this first one, you know, God's Word is authoritative. Look at this. There's instruction, testimony, precepts, command. There's fear, which we'll talk about that in a second, and then ordinances. All of these things are declaring that there's an authority over us. Can I just tell you, the only reason why I can come up here on the stage week in and week out is not because I have authority over you. God's word has authority over us. And I'm not here to try to teach you something you've never, ever heard before. When you, when you go to preachers looking for that, you're often going to find heresy. But when I'm trying to tell you and remind you of things that you already know because you've been in God's word. The instruction and the testimony and the precepts and the command and the fear and the ordinances, all these things are declaring to us that God is our authority. If, if we want to have clear-cut understanding of how to read our world today, we have to submit to God's word, our authority. Can I just tell you, I don't like to submit to authority. And if you were honest, you don't either. I walked into a restaurant this week in a different town, and, and on the sign, there were plenty of seats to sit anywhere you wanted, but on the sign it said, please wait to be seated. I don't like that sign. Particularly when there's nobody standing there to receive us. And even more so when I'm hungry. I mean, you ever walk into a place and you're like, where's the bell? Ding, ding, ding. Like, I, I want to be seated now. Now, I'm just revealing to you my impatience, so you're welcome. Particularly when I'm hangry, right? But there's a sense of which I can't just go sit wherever I want because, because I have to, and they, because they ask nicely, please wait to be seated. But then when they take us to go be seated, I don't want to sit where they're taking me. I want to sit somewhere different. We were in Malawi. We went to this place that we were recommended to called Mugs and Beans, two Gs, two Gs, Mugs and Beans, and it's in the airport. And so we're in Johannesburg. We go to this airport, and they're taking us to sit down, and the sun was just blaring. And the airport was, I think they were trying to save some money. I don't know. Maybe they were on solar power, but they were trying to save some money. And so they, there's this whole area that's just nice and shaded, a big table where all of us could have sat and enjoyed a nice, cool breakfast. But instead, they take us to where the sun is coming down. We put our sunglasses on. It was so hot. We said, hey, can we go to where the shade is? And they said, no. But I want to sit in the shade. No. This, the waitress, it was her turn to have somebody at her table, so this is where you're going to sit. And so we're just sitting there eating all of our, our little omelet with some weird sauce on it because it was South Africa, eating whatever that was. I don't even, it was that ham, I don't know, but I ate it in the sun. I didn't want to submit to their authority. I just wanted to sit wherever I wanted to sit. Now, that's a silly example of a deeper bucking of authority. I don't want to submit to God's word, but we must. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. We must obey him. Why? Because his instruction of the Lord 
the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the command of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the ordinance of the Lord, they are what? Altogether righteous. They're good for us. They're helpful for us. Now what's interesting about this, if you look back at verse 1, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. He uses the word El in the Hebrew, which is a fine word for God. It is his name. But it's almost an impersonal, creator type of word. But here, look what he uses each time. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. It's this idea of Yahweh, this idea of a covenantal God is in, in communion. So you can know God in a general sense from his creation, but you will only know God in a personal way from his instruction. You will know God in a, in a general sense from his world and can know him in his creation. However, you'll know, even, you'll know him in a personal way when you submit to his word. Not only is God's word our authority, it's adequate for us. What do you mean by adequate? Adequate meaning it renews one's life. Adequate in that it makes the inexperienced wise. Boy, do we need that more than ever. It makes the heart glad. It making the eyes light up. It is uh, pure and it endures forever and they are reliable. Do you, do you not see how the God's word, when we apply God's word into our life, it's adequate for us. It, it makes us glad. Look, when we, we think we need something else to renew us, we think we need something else to make uh, us wise. We think we need something else to make our hearts glad. We think uh, we need something else to light up our eyes. But the reality is that God's word does these things for us and, and we realize it's adequate for us. We don't need these other things. You ever, you ever thought, if I just had that thing, I would be satisfied. If I just had that job, I would be satisfied. If I just had that new truck, I'd be satisfied. We, we do this with a number of things, don't we? we? We pursue these maybe items or things to purchase or maybe even relationships to have. And we then get them and then we realize it's not what it promised. It, it, was, it was empty. But see, this is why we, we have to trust in God's adequate word. Because if you want your, your life to be renewed, it's not in a change of scenery that you need. It's that you need Him. I, I'm wanting less in life, things, and more of his presence. Like, I think about my children, and there's this grave and sincere desire for my children to be successful and to have a, a family and, and, and for us to grow and all these things and to, to have a long life and all these things. But in the reality, what I want most for my kids is that they would be in the presence of the Lord. They would know that nothing else in this life will satisfy them but him. Nothing in this world will bring peace to their life but him. And if I can instill that in my children, then if God blesses them with a family, praise God. If God allows them to go to school and they get a degree, wonderful. But my deepest desire is not that they would just have a family or even a husband that loves the Lord, although I want those things. But ultimately, what I want for them is to be in the presence of the Lord, to know for their life to be renewed, they have to understand the instruction of the Lord. They have to know that it will make them, the, the word will make them wise, that it will make their hearts glad, that it will make their eyes light up, and that it endures forever, and they're reliable. God's word is authoritative. It's, it's adequate, but it's also accurate. It's accurate. A word that we might use today instead of accurate would be it's inerrant, it's 
perfect. Look, he says it's perfect, it's trustworthy. I know it's getting confusing here. How about I do this? Magic. It's perfect, it's trustworthy, it's right, it's radiant, it's pure, altogether righteous. God's word is accurate. There's, there's often people who say, well, there's contradictions in the Bible. Listen, there's not contradictions in the Bible. There's just contradictions in your own mind. God's word is perfect. God's word is true, completely reliable. It's pure, undefiled. And God has, by his grace, blessed us with God's word access to his words to us to know him in a personal way and shame on us seriously shame on us we have more access more access to his word more access to commentaries more access to sermons more access to podcasts more access access to groups than ever before and yet i don't know if we've experienced any more of his presence because we're not actually believing what he said is true what would change in our lives if we took all of that and said, I believe what God has said is true and I'm going to live in light of it. God's word is accurate for your life. Now you say, well, is he going to tell me to move from here to there? He, I don't think he's into that kind of business when it comes to what he's going to say in his word. But what he is going to do is going to teach you how to follow him. And the only way and the best way you can know him is to be in his word. Why? Because it's perfect and it's trustworthy and it's right and it's radiant. It's pure. It's, it's altogether righteous. But not just that. This last with altogether righteous, God's word is our authority. It is adequate. It's, it's accurate. But then God's word is absolute. It's absolute. It's all together. Like when you combine all of it together, it's complete. It's complete. He then says this in verse 10 and 11. He says, they are more desirable than gold. What are some things that you've desired in life? God's word is altogether righteous. It's more desirable than gold, more desirable than pure gold or honey dripping from the honeycomb. I dare say that we need God's word and have a desire for God's word in such a way that we don't want anything else in this life. You say, more than food? Yeah, you desire him more than anything else. Is that the posture of your life? This is David's posture. So I'm not saying, are you perfectly in do doing these things? I'm just saying, is this, this the direction you want to go with your life? This was his direction. He then says, in addition, your servant is warned by them. He tells us in verse 11 that we're warned by these words. So we've seen God revealed in his world. We've seen God revealed in his word. And here, now David is transitioning this psalm to say, hey, we've been warned by these things. Look, look, at, what, look at what he says in verses 12 through 14, because now we have David's response to this. He says, who, who perceives his unintentional sins and my keep me from my hidden faults David is coming to the Lord and confessing a little bit he's saying there's some hidden sins in my life now hidden sins are interesting because they are watch this 
hidden. Hidden sins are the sins behind our sin. Sometimes when we're dealing with a sin, we'll deal with the, the external of it, but we won't get to the heart of it. So here's something I prayed last night, and it somewhat blew up in my face. I said, Lord, are there any unintentional or hidden sins in my life? Before I come up and challenge this whole church and this whole congregation, Lord, are there some unintentional or hidden sins in my life? Not 10 minutes later, Abby comes to me. Hey, I need to talk to you about something. It was late, y'all. You say, well, you just prayed that because you were going to come up and preach. Hey, look, I'm trying to get my heart ready. And she says, hey, I need to talk to you about something. There's been, you've sinned against me this week. You didn't mean to. You didn't like, we weren't like planning it out. But you sinned against me. And this is how it, this is how it went down. And then she walked away. I just was like, Lord, I, I mean, I want you to answer my prayer request, but not that quick. Like, I don't. And I went back to her and said, you're totally right. I was completely clueless how I sinned against my wife. I, I think our marriages would be a lot stronger if we began to say, Lord, is there some hidden sin in my life that I'm sinning against my spouse that I just am not clued into? Is there, is there sin in my heart that I'm sinning against those that I love the most and want to champion the most, but somehow I've begun to choose other things other than my wife? It's amazing when you just begin to confess that before the Lord how he restores you. Brings those things to bear. And so I confessed that to her. And we forgave one another. And she forgave me. And it was this beautiful moment to say, look, there were some things that I was doing. Have, when's the last time you asked the Lord, are there some things that I'm sinning against those near me that are hidden that I can't see? Lord, help me to see my blind spots. But not just the hidden things. There's also, in verse 13, Willful things. Look at this. He says, Lord, keep me, keep your servant from willful sins. Don't let them rule over me so that I can be blameless. Or then I'll be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. Now, this is really easy to apply because we, we've all been in moments where our, our children have willfully or blatantly rebelled against us. Am I the only one that has children that does that? Okay, okay. I just want to make sure. I mean, you're, you're looking at your child. Hey, hey don't, don't touch that, okay? Don't touch that. Don't touch that. You touch that. Get over here now. I mean, come on, I just told you not to touch that, right? We've all been in those moments, haven't we? Willfully knowing what is right and choosing to do the opposite is blatant rebellion. James will take it another step and he'll say, if you know what is right and you don't do it, to him that is sin. Like if you know you're supposed to do a particular thing for somebody and you say, yeah, no thanks. You know what is right and you choose to not do it. It's blatant rebellion against the Lord. And I'm not telling the Lord to cut you off and you're not going to, he's going to kick you out of his kingdom. I'm just telling you, you will experience less of the Lord when you choose to do that. But if you come to him like David comes and he says, Lord, have I, help me keep me from willfully rebelling against you, willfully sinning, blatantly rebelling against you. When you, that is the part of your prayer, you begin to understand why his precepts are trustworthy. His word is altogether righteous. 
But David didn't just respond that way. He responds in verse 14 by also saying, Lord, may the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my, my heart be acceptable, repleasing to you. So then he begins to say, Lord, I want what I say, and I want what's going on in here to be acceptable, to be pleasing to you. Now, sometimes preachers will quote that verse as they're coming up to communicate a word, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. But what if your day started like that? Lord, today I'm going to have lots of, I'm going to dispense a lot of words in a lot of places, and I want to have the spirit of Jesus in me. So Lord, may, the, may my words and my, my meditation and my, my heart, my thoughts be pleasing, pleasing and acceptable to you. Now in this, you might think after David's even confessed a little bit his, his hidden sins and maybe even bore out a little bit of his willful sins, he's now coming to this place where you might think, he might say, the Lord is my accuser and my judge. But that's not what David does. David says, Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. So as we're confessing our sin, I think sometimes we don't confess our sin because we're afraid of what God's going to say to us. Like we don't confess our sins one to another, although that's what we should be doing. Because we're afraid of how it might damage our friendship with that person. Like, like here, here's what happens in marriages. We don't tell each other our sins because we're afraid that they'll get angry with us and leave us and abandon us and kick us out. And so we don't say anything. And when we say nothing, all it does is bring up a dividing wall between the two. Transparency between you and your spouse. Transparency between you, child, with your parents does not bring a wedge, it actually brings you close. Because if you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, while there are consequences to the things that we do, there are consequences to the things that we say, there is actually healing when you expose your brokenness and Jesus, because he's our king and you made a covenant with one another, you bring each other close and you forgive and you build and you grow and you are redeemed. So many of us are afraid of, well, what will they think if they realize that I sin? They already know you sin. They live with you. But for us guys, we are way too prideful to admit that we sin against our family. That we choose our hobbies over our spouse. We choose our desired how to spend our time over how we can serve and honor them. We do this on a daily basis, unconfessed to one another. David says, but God isn't my accuser, my judge. He's my rock and my redeemer. Again, this theme of rock. We've seen in 18, 17, and on. He's my refuge. He holds me secure. So for you, is there spiritual and moral confusion in your life? Is there, is there hidden sins that are unintentional sins that you've not actually confessed before the Lord, that he's now revealing to you, even now as we've been talking? Know that God doesn't look at you and looking to zap you out. He, he looks at you and says, I'll be your rock. I'll, buy, I'll be your redeemer. See, God didn't just abandon us and just say, well, look, I've shown you in creation. Good luck. He brought his word. And the book of John begins that he made the word come into flesh. And that's why he ends this whole thing by saying there's a redeemer. That redeemer's coming and his name is going to be Jesus. 
And Jesus takes your hurts and your failures and your setbacks and your disappointments and your darkness. And he heals and redeems. He cleanses and he makes a way for there to be light in your life. But he did that through the cross. Jesus went to the cross, the place where you belonged. He died in your place to forgive you of your sins, to bring you into righteousness, to give you a life of purpose and of fulfillment. Not in the things of this earth, but in him. So today for you, do you know him? And if you do know him, have you confessed to him? And if you've confessed to him, have you thanked him? And as you've thanked him, do you now bring him glory? Let's pray together. Father, we come, and Lord, we're grateful for the chance to open up your word. Lord, we know that you have been faithful and kind to us in a thousand ways of which sometimes we don't even know. But Lord, we are thankful. And Lord, today as we now respond to your word in song, Lord, help us to respond with all of our hearts May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. You are our rock and you are our redeemer. And Father, there's only through Jesus that this can be made possible. So Holy Spirit, we're asking that you, as you maybe have been convicting the hearts of men and women and children in this room, that Lord, we respond to you in spirit and in truth. 